Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello and welcome to Catharsis. I'm Tiff Stevenson, full-time comedian, part-time, massively unqualified therapist for this podcast only. Each week I talk to a guest about small things that irritate them, pet peeves, gripes, also old wounds that need healing. We're going to get into some old grudges. We'll dive into a topical gripe and a historical beef to see if we can provide some insight or some catharsis at the very least. You can sweat the small stuff with me. Now, briefly, before I introduce my guest, I always like to get into uh, an annoyance of my own and... I've noticed recently a lot of celebrities are turning 50. Uh, Let me clarify that. A lot of female celebrities are turning 50 and posting nude selfies. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow did one for her 50th. And I think Jennifer Lopez did one on a bikini in a yacht. Jennifer Aniston just did one. And I'm wondering what's going on. Because, you know, the conversation around it is, it's not needy because it's it's not objectification because they're old now. So it's no longer object. It's empowering. It's empowering, Tiffany. Two words you don't want to hear when you've just taken your clothes off. <laughs> it's empowering. Is it empowering, or is it exhausting? That's what I want to know. Have I still got to be doing this shit when I'm 60? Have I got to be sexy at 60? Have I got to be on the gram trying to push my tits together, purse trapping with a copy of Regis Digest hiding my areola? Is this where we're going to be? Probably a copy of Bella magazine, actually. Better coverage. It is a bigger a bigger magazine. But uh, I'm tired. I'm in my 40s and I'm tired already. How long must this continue for? I will ask the opinion of my guest this week because we are joined by comedian, cricket statistician. I can't even say that properly. <coughs> cricket statistician. Is that the correct way of saying it? Podcaster and all-round good guy, Andy Zaltzman. Welcome. Hello, Tiff. Hi. I'm 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 already contemplating cancelling my nude fiftieth birthday shoot, which I've <laughs> scheduled for October of next year. 
Listen, I think I think if men do it, maybe we can class it as empowering at this point because it's not the norm. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know, will it be empowering? Will it be brave, Andy? Well, I I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the last time I did anything brave um, or, uh, or empowering, to be honest. But... Um, Oh yeah, I think yeah, let, let's call it that. You, you just as long as you call it empowering, it becomes it becomes empowering. I might, I might just eat a potato on my fiftieth instead of posing nude and call that empowering. You know, yeah, taking back taking back yeah. control of myself. As as long as it's photographed and put up on the gram for posterity, you can claim anything is either empowering, self care, or you know. Right. Yeah. See, I, I've I've not done a lot on Instagram. I did. I I set it up. I think for for your um shows during lockdown, with the, <laughs> and I've never used it. So maybe maybe that's why I'm not not more powerful. I've not empowered myself using the modern the modern tools. What's this account? It's just it just stands pictures of cricketers and occasionally shares bits of information from podcasts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's what the world needs. I think. Welcome to the podcast. We begin every week, as you may well know, by diving into an old grudge. So something from your past that you wish you'd handled differently or uh, or something that you just can't quite let go of. Hit me, Andy. What have you um, brought to the table? Well, I've thought about this a lot. And I, I think through my life I've tried to sort of remove grudges because as a, I think as a child I was really over-competitive in a way that, you know, just playing a, a sports sports match, I'd get in this sort of such a state of emotional um, sort of tension and overwroughtness <laughs> that I ended up not enjoying it at all, even if if my team won. And I, I think, I don't know, gradually through my t- teenage years, I learned the spiritual power of not giving a shit and um, uh, about stuff like that. And I, I think that, you know, that sort of helped me through life, so I mean, in terms of personal grudges, from I don't have many from from childhood. I've got a few from my comedy career, uh, but more spe- <laughs> with specific audiences. Um, for example, the Manchester Comedy Store, uh, December two thousand and two. Uh, I had a grudge with, I think, pretty much all four hundred people who were who were at that gig. Um, and I'm sure. <laughs> oh, this feeling... is a twenty-year-old grudge, Andy. Yeah, this, this is a feeling that's entirely mutual. And uh, uh, well, the comedy store has never booked me since, so so presumably they're they're in on the grudge as well. So, um, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I try. I've tried. I try to um, to avoid grudges because I think partly because I I didn't deal with them very well as a as a youngster, and I found you know in 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 comedy, I guess in any form of sort of competitive showbiz, there's grudges can sort of eat you up a bit and um uh so i i sort of, i guess learned the powers of my sort of ancient stoicism of uh not allowing these things to uh to, to take you over but um so yeah i don't know i'm uh, 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 the, the uh i guess if i had a showbiz grudge um and again it's not something that sort of uh, eats away <laughs> at my soul um it would probably be with the former tv show mock the week uh, which you yourself uh, graced on numerous occasions who uh, never booked me in, I don't know how many years it lasted, 16, 17 years. And uh, initially it annoyed me for the first sort of four or five years. I used to think, oh, I'd be quite, you know, they ought to be booking me. And then it reached the point where I, I, I 
didn't want to be asked to do it because I really wanted to say no, but I didn't think I'd have the mental strength or, or <laughs> humility to do that. And, you know, the, the vanity of showbiz would want me to get on the telly. But luckily, uh, they took that decision out of my hands by never asking me in the entire <laughs> history of the uh, of the show, um, which has now ended. So uh, so I guess that would be my... My my showbiz, my showbiz. Gr- but but to be honest, there's plenty of TV shows that have never booked me, so I don't know why I've 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 picked on that one specifically. But um, I might have an idea. Well, firstly, yeah. their loss because you would be astonishing on that show, <laughs> uh, as anyone who's listened to the Bugle knows. Like, there's no one out there that's better at doing topical and making it discursive, making it silly, making it accessible so that that's that's on them uh but it is uh, i i think the reason that you might feel like that is because john did the show a bunch it, right uh, john did yeah john oliver did 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 the show uh before he went uh yeah, i think uh, I, th- I think the time fled the country um <laughs> to uh to go to america um and at that point we were working really closely together on radio and in in uh live stuff so um uh yeah, I felt that like I probably could have, could have done a job on it, but then uh, in the end, it almost became a matter of pride that I'd I'd never been asked, and I then started to look upon it as a badge of honour that uh, they'd uh, they'd never asked me to do it. So, um, yeah. well, it is finished now. However, I just found out the other day via sources. I don't know why I'm putting that in quotation marks. Someone sent me a text that they're creating an American version of it. Really. Yes. Well, I look forward to not being asked to do that as well. So, um... <laughs> that was. I wonder. Maybe, maybe John will do that one again. <laughs> I guess. Um, I believe Trevor Noah. Yes, I don't know if he's hosting it, but I but I saw it announced the other day. Um, so you know, but here's the thing: it's uh, not like there's other places you can get your topical fix if you enjoy topical comedy. But yes, it's it's such an odd. I mean, I'd quite like to unpack just like show business and your disappointments in general, because there's stuff that I haven't done. And then what you find yourself doing, which is so insane, is sitting there going, well, I'm as funny as that person. I've also done this. I've got this many Instagram followers. <laughs> I've got this many. What is my agent doing? And and it's um, it leads nowhere good ever, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, it leads it leads to a spiral of bitterness. And um, I'm telling you, when um, yeah, I had points in my career, particularly after John had gone to America, and um, we'd had we'd been doing quite a bit of stuff on BBC Radio, and we had two series cancelled simultaneously. And John got the Daily Show job, uh, and so we we I had to do what was supposed to be our two handed Edinburgh show solo at uh, fairly short notice, <laughs> and found out. My wife and I found out that she, that she was pregnant all within the space of about three or four weeks in the summer of 2006, which is a, a, a time of, um, I guess, upheaval in my career that various <laughs> things that I've been working on sort of ended suddenly. Uh, I had an exciting new development on a, on a personal level. And I did, you know, for, for a while, really until The Bugle started, which was a, you know, a year and a bit later when, when John and I started started the podcast, I did, I, I did find myself getting a bit sort of bitter about the fact that I'd sort of hit the hit a sort of career buffers and couldn't really see how I, I would advance in that. And John had got this gig on the, the world's leading comedy show. And it <laughs> sort of felt like from working very closely together as as sort of equals, things had gone in fairly uh, polarly different direct Is that a word? Uh, different directions. Yeah, so um, I like it is now. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you just have to 
Also, I think fundamentally that you know, there's if you accept that there are there's a certain element in in comedy as in any job where you know there's an element of meritocracy and there's an element of luck, uh, and uh, the two often sort of play off each other. Um, and I think I, you know, I was lucky enough that I could you know throughout this I was still sort of managing to make a living from it, and once the the bugle started, it was nice for me to be working with John again, but also that you know that. Gave me a new audience for for stand up that um, that uh, that I hadn't really got from radio, which never really translated into sort of live ticket sales. But the the bugle sort of almost restarted my my stand up career, and then sort of latterly got. I think you know, doing more, the work I do in in cricket as a cricket statistician that that again was some you know another plank that um, you know I, I gradually learned to you know be satisfied with my career and realised that. You know, if things weren't happening for me, it was largely my own fault rather than uh, anything to do with uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> bad fortune. So, um, again, it's, I guess taking... Uh, again, it's quite a, st- a stoic idea from the ancient uh, stoic philosophies of understanding the things that you have control of and the things that you don't accept. Is that Marcus Aurelius? Yeah, yeah, he was a, a classic stoic, one of the, old, <laughs> one of the all-time greats. He said, if you don't get Mock the Week, chill. <laughs> <laughs> As he famously said, if you don't get mocked the week, chill. And I think that's a really that's a really nice way to think of it. Um, also, that you carved your own thing. And I think a lot of the time in this business, we think so much about gatekeepers and people who are going to hand us this career. And, and, and so much of that has changed for the better in that you don't need uh, an executive producer somewhere or someone at a channel to say, yes, we give you an opportunity. Because a lot of the time when you're doing TV... You're trying to do it to sell tickets to your live tours and shows. Um, you're also doing it because it's TV and it's great and it's wow. But, you know, certain panel shows, like the one we mentioned, it's not as if they, they're quite a lot of prep and they don't pay a huge amount of money. Um, and they're fun to do. But the, one of the main reasons is, well, if I do this, I will sell X amount of tickets to my Edinburgh show or whatever else. So <clears throat> so now there's just, just this way and and actually, you're at the forefront of doing that. You are one of the innovators in this space, you and John, with creating a podcast before anyone else really had here, a comedy podcast where two comedians discuss events. Um, and and now because of you guys, thank you. <laughs> every <laughs> Now everyone has a podcast. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I think that might be giving us slightly too much credit as, as if we sort of had this grand idea to, to st- strike out, whereas what actually happened was we were offered a deal to do a podcast uh, and we basically said, well, what's a podcast? Um, and this was you know, <laughs> 2007 when uh, it, it was uh, all fairly new. My, my sister, uh, Helen, she already started her podcast even even earlier. And, I mean, she's a very good example, I think, what, what you were saying about how the internet... Um, enabled people to carve their own niche um so you know she's made a very successful podcasting career um her main thing now is a essentially an etymology podcast and makes a very good living from it in a way that would not have been possible if you wanted to do an etymology show pre-podcasting you might have got you know one 15 minute or half hour slot on the radio if you were lucky and then it would have just gone out and then disappeared and that would have been that whereas um you know, when we started the bugle, as I said, it, it, within a few weeks, when we only had a few thousand listeners, and we were lucky when we started. We had a bit of we were hosted by the Times, and and they sort of paid us so we could devote the time to to, to treat it like a radio show, essentially, and gave us a, a producer 
Uh, so we didn't have to you know worry about the, the technical side of it. So we were very fortunate in that regard. But it, it was very clear to me early on that that it enabled uh, it, as, as a format, it gave enabled you to build your own audience. And you know, as long as you could sustain that, it became viable in a way that you know do a radio show and it could be you know the best radio show you could possibly make it would go out at 11 p.m uh, on a thursday <laughs> night um 20, people would hear it whilst falling asleep and uh, no one would ever hear it again you think well what what exactly was was the point of that um so um so did some really great radio that just sort of disappeared and that was a that was a, i mean that that i guess is a grudge that the 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 uh we did some uh i did a show with john and chris addison called the department that um I'm still really proud of it and still makes me laugh whenever I it comes up on my uh, uh shuffle on um <laughs> my music player um and it just sort of disappeared and I felt that you know that that's uh, that, that should have should have had a, a a greater life than it did um but yeah the internet sort of enabled you to carve that niche and I guess that sort of then takes away the avenues for bitterness of having to be dependent on other people because it gave it gave comedians and people in all other other you know, sort of creative spheres in a way a lot more agency over their own their own work and their own um you know fan base listener base yeah that's that's exactly it the agency is the bit that then helps you because you feel like you've got moves you can't you can't just blame it on not getting opportunities with certain people you can begin to create and now we're creeping into ai so that's a discussion for another time (laughs) (laughs) where they will remove the need for comedians and writers altogether um because a because a computer will be coming up with it all well thank you for sharing your old grudge um and uh maybe you know who knows what will happen in the future um america hello (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This section of the podcast we call Topical Cream. That's where we attempt to apply some balm to a stingy news story that's got you all het up. So what's wound you up? What's got you? Urgh! Well, can I just choose all news? Um, is, is that is that too broad? <laughs> no, that's good. That's a good answer. Because with the, the Bugle and doing the news quiz on Radio 4, another topical show, I spend so much of my time immersed in news, reading news, and I, I make the... the extreme mistake of reading below the lines comments on news articles is a path to uh full-scale misanthropy and pessimism about the human condition but it's just that the 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 tone of news now is so i don't know confrontational heightened i mean obviously there's a lot of shit going on in the world as there always has been i guess probably since uh humans uh started evolving frankly um but I find, yeah, the tone uh, of news that that needs your your soothing balm, 
uh, Tiff. It's uh, <laughs> it just everything seems so furious all the time, and I think part of that is because, as a species, I believe we have lost the art of disagreement um, uh, and the, the ability to hold different opinions and think that someone is completely wrong about something and not to respect their views but to sort of accept the fact that there are different ways of looking at things and just sort of get on with it um so uh, yeah i find that the tone the tone of all news that's what i want to have a balm applied to combative it feels always combative and i think what you're talking about there andy is something that um i remember it from the old times is called a nuance yeah nuance it's basically banned, I think, now. I mean, I guess there's, there's two ways of looking at nuance. Either you think it's great or you think it's fucking shit and there's nothing in between. <laughs> nuance has been banned. It's been uh, it's on the illegal, illegal thoughts list. Yes, that you could hold competing thoughts. And I think that's, as a progressive society, we want to be able to discuss in a non, like, insanely combative way why someone might think differently. And that's kind of one of the things I love about stand-up, I guess, is that you can put, put across your viewpoint or your worldview across an hour when you're doing a show or an hour and a half on a tour show and and be detailed and nuanced about it and show how you arrive there and stuff. But I feel like there's so many voices now. I mean, you're saying you read the comments. I used to have a rule that um, I would treat them like the portaloo at Glastonbury. <laughs> in that you don't look down you don't look at yeah. that bit <laughs> because it's just turd upon turd upon turd upon turd however if you are writing a topical show sometimes you are going in there looking for what lunatic opinions are there so i can debunk them or so i can do the logic against them so sometimes it is useful to know what people are saying but i feel like there's too many voices I feel like the internet, when we say it's a good thing and it's democratised a lot of stuff, it also means that everyone's screaming and every voice is competing at an equal level. It used to be dependent on followers, but not anymore. Because I find now if you just tweet something insane on Twitter, like really contrarian or like just awful, it will get the engagement because that kind of black and white thinking is what lands there. And so you're left going, can I even use this platform anywhere anymore yes. in a way that's useful? And you talked about so feeling sort of exhausted by it. And I, I do often feel just exhausted by the process of consuming news and um, you know, just the, the, the level of human energy expended in, in sort of hating things and... <laughs> And hating other people's opinions on things, um, it's uh, it's where I'm getting too old for that. Like I said, I'm nearly fifty. I've got to, I've got to think about my naked photo shoot, Tiff. I don't have time for <laughs> delving through the the furies of modern life. Uh, well, I I get to a point where I um I second guess myself because I used to do I guess what I thought were like quite nuanced threads on things on Twitter, and now I just hardly do any. I'll do the occasional joke, but even then. It's at the point on Twitter where you'll tweet something like very obviously a joke like, oh, I think I, I've nearly farted myself to death today. And then someone will come and go, my my cousin died from farting himself to death. Why do you think this is funny? You know, like, <laughs> and you're like, OK, I just I don't even know the point of me being here anymore when I can't even do that. 
But it is, it's tiring. Here's the thing. A few years back in a show, I talked about the American consumption of news versus our consumption. And I think that Americans are more used to dealing with this rolling 24-hour news coverage, relentless. And I think it was talked about in um, Bowling for Columbine. You know, he talked about the fact that Americans are fed a diet of fear a lot of the time. But I feel like we have this same diet now. We have 24-hour news channels on the TV and websites that are constantly updating, as well as now added on top of those social media, which are essentially news feeds as well. And um, and in America, at least there's a, a climate of... Um, people go to therapy, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> there's an acceptance of therapy in America that there sort of isn't here in a way. So Americans have all of that fear and rage online, but they also have potentially more outlets to go and get help if they can afford to. Whereas here, I describe us as a nation of bottlers, not in a fight sense, but we just don't talk about our feelings or so they can all come out at Christmas dinner. (laughs) You know, like I remember Andy Murray getting therapy before Wimbledon and all of the newspapers reporting it like, um, Andy Andy Murray visits shrink. Andy Murray sees head quack. You can guess which paper that was. Yeah. Um, and it was it was as if to say, who do you think you are going sorting your problems out of a professional? You you save that shit for Christmas dinner like everyone else. <laughs> you ruin turkey with your grudges. Um, and so I feel like we are not as Brits as equipped to deal with this relentless news coverage as perhaps the Americans are. I mean, I probably no human is, but I feel in particular British people in that weird way of like not wanting to discuss our feelings or not wanting to appear vulnerable, stiff upper lip and all that. I feel like we can't cope. Yeah, I think there's uh, yeah, there's a lot of truth in, in, in that. And also just in, in terms of how news is presented, there's um, a prominent broadsheet newspaper in this country that I, I grew up with uh, in... Uh, Living in Tunbridge Wells, um, and the it seems that almost everything in it has now become an issue of such extremity of everything being, you know, catastrophic or you know massively destructive, uh, and or you know that everything is oh Europe is doomed, Britain is doomed, everything's doomed, um, and again this comes back to that issue of nuance and um, and balance, and that it seems that those yes. Those are things that may be consigned to the Museum of History. <laughs> what do we do? How do we fix the news, Andy? <laughs> I feel like it's my job as a, a completely unqualified therapist on yes. this podcast to provide solutions, and I don't right. know what the solutions are. <laughs> I don't know if there, there just needs to be... Um, I don't know. Like a, a pop. This is one of the things that irritates me most about the universe at the moment is... Uh, it's you know just the 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 amount of pop-ups that come up when you're on the internet and uh it it makes me sort of hanker for the early days of the internet when you could just read something without something else flying in, into your face but we, maybe we need to harness this and you know every <laughs> article uh whenever you read it or if you read a comment there should be a pop-up of a of a of a you know a benevolent old person's face saying of course this could all be bullshit uh, or um that, you know, this is just one way of looking at it, and just everyone just just calm, just just calm, just you know, these faces just calming, calming you down, maybe with a bit of, <laughs> bit of soothing music. I think there should you, the paperclip should come up definitely. Yeah. Um, 
when you see it, like there should be a paper clip for a, you appear to be engaging in whataboutery. Can I help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if we could just get all of the different rhetorical um, devices or, um, or kind of get outs that people seem to use um, in online debate and uh, yeah. Yeah. Soothe. Soothe with a maybe a video of some. I'm trying to think of who has the most soothing. Maybe Joanna Lumley. Yeah, just Lumley. popping up. I mean, we, we need to. Yeah. We need to absolutely dredge everything from Attenborough before he moves to a, the, the higher realm, um, if we may put it euphemistically. Because what he's yes. 96 now. You probably think he's nearer the end of his career than the start. Um, uh, even though he's obviously throughout his career in wildlife documentaries, he's been extracting serums from every species has ever met to try and create some kind of <laughs> elixir of immortality. So, I mean, it's quite possible that he will never die. But just in case he does, I think we, we need to... Basically, he should just be in a recording studio 24 hours a day. Yes. Six days a week. We'll give him We'll give him Wednesdays off. Um, yeah. And uh, just, just recording benevolent things for to, to try and soothe the human race through the next couple of thousand years. It's time for Unpopular Opinion. This is where I ask my guest to bring something to the table that they love, everyone else hates, or vice versa. I found I found it quite hard, actually, to, to, to find something that, that's... I mean, it's quite hard to know what everyone hates and or everyone loves. Um, <laughs> I, I do have a massive, deep-seated philosophical hatred of uh, the... Uh, Great British Bake Off as a TV show and everything it stands for. Um, <laughs> Come on, that's an unpopular <laughs> opinion. Come on. <laughs> partly because uh, I, mean, I don't mind the occasional cookery show. I quite quite enjoy um, MasterChef, but uh, but I, I fundamentally I'm not interested in cakes. So that's 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 at one point. But it's what cake know, find, hurt you, Andy? I, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> Tiff. This probably goes. I'm not sure we can go into enough depth in, uh, in the time we've got available. To, um, but um, I, I, I it's the sort of relentless positivity of um, of reality shows like that. Not just Bake Off, but you know others in the same stable. Uh, the 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 formulaic nature of these shows drives me mad. Um, uh, you know, just that it. it it gets to the point where, and you know, I, I don't actively watch them, but other people in my close family enjoy them. Uh, although I've managed to keep the family together despite that, <laughs> um, so I have been in the room. And it's you know, that that pause before they announce the winner or loser, and the way it's set up in in all these shows, uh, there's something that drives me up the fucking wall <laughs> with that. I don't know if it's just because it's so. Uh, <laughs> It, I guess it's the repetitive formulaic nature of it. Oh, come on! How many years have we been doing this now? There must be a better way of doing it. But maybe I'm going to but... ask for that pause at the cricket now. Yeah, okay, please do. I'm going to ask for that. I'm going to ask for the host of Bake Off to come in. I don't know who it is now at the moment. Is it Prue Leith? Uh, and... I, I, I can't remember. Well, think... She's one of the judges now. I, don't, I think there might oh, be Oh, Noel Fielding and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Might... It's, t- it's turning over. Yes. Um like an apple, an yes. apple turnover. Well, I mean, also it's, it's it's now. I mean, it does appear that that stand-up comedy, which you know, when when we started doing it, uh, Tiff, I always felt like something that people wanted to do for the love of comedy or as a an art form in itself. And now it's turned out as just a stepping stone to hosting a fucking reality show for uh, it seems ninety-eight <laughs> percent of all comedians. Um, so. Um... <laughs> 
I um, knew we'd get at it. I knew if we just scratched the surface. Well, so uh, that's yeah, that's <laughs> something that, that irritates me on a on a regular uh, regular basis. Is it the Britishness of the Great British Bake Off? Is it? The um, t- do you find it twee? Do you? I do. I do a bit. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's really a universal thing. I think I could watch a a sort of show of that ilk in any language on any topic, and it would irritate me just as much. Um, regardless do, of where do, it was. Do. they're going to reveal the winner but first no. we're going to go to ad break oh. we're going um. to an ad break before you, orthopedic mattresses before yes. you find out who's won this week's uh, so you feel the same way about MasterChef or any kind of I know I quite like because I quite like I quite like cooking so at least with MasterChef I, you know there's a you know I might learn something and I, I most enjoy the professional version so you're seeing you're seeing uh, seeing pros doing pro stuff uh, but um but even then, the it, you know it is it's so it's so formulaic, which I guess is you know why it works. People like formula. I get you know, I love sport, and I guess sport works to a to a formula. But for, for whatever reason, uh, that gets my uh, that gets my quite easily irritable goat. <laughs> well, also there's you know there's been much discussion about this because we're in the midst of a strike in America of the Writers Guild. But the last time there was a big strike, they you know the discussion has been that that's when reality TV really flourish because all of a sudden they were like, well, we can't get any writers, so let's just get people on TV acting like assholes. Yes. Um, I'm not saying that's what happens on Bake Off, but just on <laughs> on various other shows. Um, so I, we could be in for another flood of more reality, yes. extra reality. We'll make it even more real by just having everyone film it on their phones. Yes. I mean, the <laughs> possibilities are, I think, you know, that, Pandora's box of um, uh, has been opened, and the creative wasteland will take over the world. But um, in terms of other things that I've, yeah, I, I dislike, but other people do. Night, nightclubs, I've always found an, a source of complete bafflement. Um, <laughs> uh, Ga- Game of Thrones irritates me uh, purely because. I feel I ought to love it, uh, but as soon as the first dragon uh, came out, uh, I gave up. Um, and um, anything to do with fashion. Uh, m- me and fashion uh, went our uh, separate ways in uh, an atmosphere of mutual hostility m- many, many decades ago. But uh, sometimes, you know, I think as a, as a comedian and a cricket statistician, I think, you know, what is what am I doing with my life? What, I mean, is there a more pointless way of living? And, and then I read or I see a fashion supplement. I think, no, no, no. <laughs> that's that, that I'm still quite a long way to go before reaching reaching that level of pointlessness. I think this is just my personal opinion. I think there should be a fashion range for people who don't give a shit about fashion. Yep. That's what I want to see. I'm happy to model that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I want to see stuff like uh t-shirts that say things like this will have egg on it later. Yeah. Cuz inevitably everything you wear will get egg on it at some point unless you're vegan or like just don't do it track pants. I can't be asked. Track pants. <laughs> <laughs> fashion for people who don't like fashion. Like I could get you if you just had a a, a pair of chinos that just said functional down the side. Yeah. You know. That would work. Yeah. 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 So let's launch it. <laughs> On a more sort of positive angle, things that I love that not necessarily people hate, but that people um Generally, don't give much of a shit about. I've got really into squash as a spectator sport, um, oh. and I, I feel it's one of the most maligned spectator sports in the world. It's not in the Olympics. It's uh, barely on television. 
Um, and I went to see uh, a session at the British Open in Birmingham uh, a few weeks ago. And we've watched quite a bit. My wife used to play quite a good good stand, and my son plays. And it is so fantastically skillful and athletic and dramatic. And you feel this. Why is the world ignoring this sport? Why is the Olympic movement ignoring this uh, this sport? So that that's. Uh, I'm not sure it's an unpopular opinion, but it, it's it's something that baffles me for not being more popular. Um, than I'm with you. So I would like to campaign for this because I play squash. I love squash. It's high octane. It's high octane sport, Andy. Yes. Um, although we hadn't played. Oh, okay. I share this with you. We hadn't played for like probably since before the pandemic. And Paul and I used to play quite a lot. And then I was not very good when I started. And then I sort of got better and sort of matched him. And then we were a bit more evenly matched. But we hadn't been for a couple of years. So we booked in and we've been playing for 15 minutes before Paul stretched <laughs> too fast for a ball. <laughs> I just went, I heard something ping in my knee. Right. And then it was just a middle-aged man rolling around on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's what game, that's what that's what sport is all about. <laughs> it's confronting mortality, Tiff. That's a huge part of it. Um, we had to go to A and E because he was like, you know, we didn't know if he'd done his cruciate or wh- whatever it is, but uh, um, or it just turned out that it, I think he like sprained or torn something. And in fact, it's been long enough now that the other day I said to him, "Should we go again? Should we risk it?" But it's very much like, am I going to have to wear a gout bracelet going into the squash court? But I love squash and I, I do. I would happily watch other people play squash. Um, I like playing squash. I think we should. Let's get a squash podcast happening, Andy. Yeah. Let's bring it to the masses. Yeah, first of all, I mean, they should. I think football's just got too big. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a sport where. You know, it's it's one of the lowest scoring sports in the world. It's a sport where playing negatively is generally rewarded strategically. Um, time wasting is strategically advantageous. And it feels like, yeah, you know, the world needs a year off football to let other sports have a go. So all football should be cancelled for a year from, uh, well, let's let this season finish. Um, and, and, yeah, we start chucking money at other sports and see what, see what happens. Let's let, let the sponsorship deals roll in. Yes. Gout bracelets for players, sweatbands, <laughs> sweat headbands. Oh, those those goggles. Yeah. Are they wearing those in professional games? Not in professional games. My my kid wears them when 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 he plays. But it's I also having seen it live and quite a bit on on TV. I don't think there's any other sport that has less time wasting than than squash. It's just relentless. There's whereas you know tennis there's quite a lot of piddling around between points wiping your face with a towel and, and squash it's just non-stop and uh yeah it's brilliant yes well i feel like i have a heart attack every time yes I play it thank you for sharing your unpopular opinions it is time to get into a historical beef this is where we look at something from the past between two rivals we pick it apart and uh, I had a couple of suggestions for this week. But yep. Andy, you came to me and said, no, I want to talk about this. Yeah, well, this is, I think, one of the defining rivalries, really, in the history of this planet. And that is uh, the human race versus itself, um, <laughs> which, you know, is a rivalry that goes back a long time now. And when you think of the history of humanity, the amount of time and effort 
devoted to mutual destruction, the infliction of pain and suffering, and the just the retardation of human progress under various guises, whether it's religious or or political or commercial. But obviously, you know, humans have done a lot of good things, but the amount of damage that we inflict on ourselves as a species, the the way that we we kind of put brakes on our advancement, despite the genius of of the human race, the <laughs> un, just unbelievable efforts throughout to to slow that down and to destroy ourselves. I think that's one of the that is one of the great beefs, the great historical rivalries, really. And you see it, you know, on a on a you know, obviously that's quite macro. Let's yeah. get it. I mean, like America, you know, America's it defines itself by its rivalries with, say, Soviet Russia, or or now with, with 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 China now moving forward. But America's greatest rival, obviously, is itself, and uh, it's had obviously moments when that's flared up more, um, as the eighteen sixties <laughs> would testify. Um, but uh, it, America sort of almost symbolizes humanity's. Uh, Sort of failures in in this regard uh, of working against its own self interest in so many ways politically in terms of the way its media conducts itself its its business its 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 racial and social inequalities um, and the various justifications like you see that with the with the gun debate if you get it you know, the, the, the 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 desire to act against our own self interest I think is one of the things that sets us apart from uh, all the other species on this planet. That's a very, very good historical beef. I would say it starts, you were you were talking about the macro. If we want to go to the micro, I often think about this as a performer um, doing Edinburgh's and a critic comes to see the show. And then I remember that it's laughable to me that any critic thinks they can be meaner than the voice in my own head. <laughs> Yeah. So how, how much disgusting self-talk I have here. So the first war, before we even get into wars with everyone else, is with ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, maybe that's... Well, we've just expanded that to encompass the whole world. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's... I, I, I can chuck this this show, showbiz beef. The first review I ever had as a comedian uh, in uh, Edinburgh in 2000, I was doing a show called The Comedy Zone, which was a sort of package show with four comedians. And we got reviewed in the first night uh, and the Observer National Sunday newspaper described me as grindingly mediocre. And um, <laughs> fortunately, uh, the journalist, um, uh, who uh, whose name I won't share with you now, um, but he did not, I don't think he writes, uh, I don't know if he's still a journalist or not, uh, misspelt my surname. So if you search me on the internet, it doesn't come up. Ah, <laughs> oh, Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. And the next, the next year, a different reviewer in the same paper described me as a genius in the making. And then the following year, uh, another reviewer said I was kind of all right. So I think it probably averaged out over those three reviews as about right. Well, I, I think my first year I got every star. Well, that's the dream in Edinburgh, isn't it? The full house. I don't think I've ever quite managed the full house. The full house. Yeah. Um, there was a, the, uh, a one-star review of someone who was very unhappy with my jokes about uh, reproductive rights. And then I found out that she was a born-again Christian. But, uh, yeah, and then I got nice ones and I got, you know, 
but yeah, I think the war begins with us, and then as as it as that seeps out, depending on how much we hate ourselves, then that could be how much we can go out <laughs> and get into it with other people. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those with me, Andy. Before we sign off for the week, is there anything you'd like to plug that you've got coming up? Well, um, the the bugle runs on uh, for all eternity, as it has done since um, the start of eternity, or 2007. <laughs> um, uh, so that's, uh, you can hear every week, wherever wherever you are in the universe, as long as you have uh, access to the internet. Even on Elon Musk's terraformed Mars. Yes, yeah, I'm sure it'll be there. And uh, yeah, I think if you listen to all the episodes we've ever done back-to-back, it will now take you uh, longer than the average human lifespan. So, um, uh, so there's a lot of that. Uh, I'm doing the news because I'm Radio 4 at the moment. You can get via BBC Sounds. And I'd also just like to plug um, uh, cricket in general uh, as a sport. <laughs> Thank you for coming on Catharsis. Andy, I am on tour all of May. So if you get a chance, you want to come and see me, head to tiffstevenson.co.uk. The dates are listed. They're listed on there. The website hasn't been updated since Brexit. So don't hold out (laughs) hope for much else. But you can find me there or on Twitter and Instagram and the usual places. Thanks for listening. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, Catharsis, Tiny Revolutions, Top Stories and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.